Hi there, welcome to episode 111. Today I'm talking with Tracy, the author of Zero to Five. Tracy and I are discussing how we talk to our children and the importance of that. Specifically, we're diving deeper into a concept called the growth mindset. You are listening to the Simple Families Podcast, a Q&A style show that brings you solutions for living well with family. Here's your host, Danae Barahona. Hi, it's Danae. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today, I am chatting with Tracy Kuchlow. Tracy is the author of Zero to Five, 70 Essential Parenting Tips Based on Science. Tracy was an editor on the book Brain Rules for Baby, and if anyone is familiar with that book, you'll know it was a fabulous, yet a little bit of a dense read. It's something that I recommend to new parents. I enjoyed Tracy's book because while Brain Rules for Baby answers a lot of questions, it really covers the why of intentional parenting, and Tracy's book covers the how. Today, Tracy and I are talking about something called the growth mindset. The growth mindset is a well-researched theory that looks at the way that we talk to our children. Research shows that if we talk to our children in certain ways, we can encourage them to grow and to change and to improve. In this episode, Tracy and I will discuss how to develop a growth mindset in your children and much more. Before we jump into today's episode, here's a quick message from today's sponsor. The sponsor for today's episode is Teamy. Teamy is a company that sells tea, but their motto is that it's not just tea, it's a lifestyle. I had a chance this past month to try their 30-day detox program, and I have to say that I loved it. Detoxing can help with a lot of health problems that people face on a daily basis, such as improving gut health, detoxing the internal organs, improving sleep, reducing bloating, help with focus, etc. It's an easy 30-day program. Teamy sends you two packages of tea, one that's to be drank every morning and one that's to be drank every other night. When I did my detox, I gave up coffee for the 30 days. And as many of my listeners know, I have kind of a conflicted relationship with coffee and with caffeine because although I crave it, I know that it doesn't feel good for my body. While this isn't a requirement, it's definitely something that I feel like has made a huge difference for me. Having the stable energy provided by the teas has not only helped me feel lighter, but also more focused. Teamy is offering a special discount to the Simple Families audience. If you want to try it out, go to teamyblends.com. That's T-E-A-M-I blends, B-L-E-N-D-S.com and use the promo code family to get 15% off your order. Back to the episode. If you have questions or comments, you can leave those in the show notes at simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 111. I'd love to hear more from you there. Here's the interview. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, Tracy. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, Danae. Hi, Simple Families listeners. I'm happy to be here. So Tracy, can you start by telling me a little bit about your family and where you're from? I live in Seattle. I actually grew up here, which is unusual around here. Uh, I've lived in other places, but I keep coming back. It's so beautiful. And I live here with my husband and our six-year-old daughter. When our daughter was six months old, I don't know what I was thinking, I started working on the parenting book that you've got in your hands now. Great. Zero to five is the name of it. 70 essential parenting tips based on science. Now, was this an area that you were interested in prior to having a baby or were you a writer before that? What is, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I had been a journalist before. Um, 
And I had also been a book editor. And one series of books that I edited was called Brain Rules uh, and Brain Rules for Baby. And that was that was before I had a baby, but that was where I got introduced to a lot of the science that's relevant to parents. Um, then once I had a baby, I realized I would love just a super quick reference to that useful research and really um, something that was focused on how to apply it in a practical way. Uh, so just kind of a tell me what to do version, because what I found was um, as much as I love reading, and I've got an enormous bookshelf behind me right now, and one of the shelves is completely full of parenting books, um, with a new baby, I did not have the bandwidth to look through those books and pick out the, the how-to stuff that I really, that I really wanted at the time. Um, so that's why my book is super... <laughs> like one tip per page, small chunks of text kind of design. That makes so much sense to me. And actually, Brain Rules for Baby is one of the books that I always suggest to expecting parents. And when I was expecting my first baby, my husband and I actually, for our baby moon, when I was 20 weeks pregnant, we drove from Dallas to Santa Fe, and it was like a 10-hour drive. And we listened to that book, the audio book, and it Mm. was awesome because we could pause and talk about the different things. Um, but I always suggest to people when I recommend that book, I'm like, it's heavy reading. So make sure that you can take your time and digest it all because there's a lot in there. So I think that there's a lot in there. How cool (laughs) that you read it together. Yeah. And it, it started so many great conversations that I felt like have been continued now, even five years later. And, but again, I think that because we didn't have kids yet, we had that extra time and energy to really invest in diving deeper into those topics. But you're so right that after you have a baby, it's hard to really get all that parenting info in your head that you might want to download at any given time. Well, that book was was really important to me, too. I mean, you get the, the kind of broad concepts that emotions are super important. And um, that was actually one of the biggest takeaways for me. So, yeah, there... I recommend it as well. I kind of think of Brain Rules for Baby as the why and zero to five as the how. (laughs) I like that. It's sort of how do you put into practice all the things that you've learned? And that's such an important piece. And that's something that I want to talk about more today is that I feel like there is so much parenting info out there that there is a barrier between digesting it and applying it. And it can feel really overwhelming. Mm Mm-hmm. It really can. There's so much, um, not only in the stacks of books that you might have, but when you start Googling (laughs) for answers on some particular thing, uh, it can really feel like you're drowning. Yeah. And so many things that can conflict with each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why I wanted to use science as a filter in my book. Um, And I appreciate that Brain Rules for Baby does as well. I think it's, you know, it's not perfect, but it's just a solid filter. Yes. And it gives you that introduction to some science and some research that you can take and you can interpret and use in any way that fits you and fits your family. That's really the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Parenting is so much a process of experimenting and noticing what worked, what didn't, what do you want to try differently um, with 
your particular child and the way that your particular temperament interacts with theirs. Um, you know, they say there's no manual. Well, there, there are useful things that, that we can know about how the brain develops, but within that, yeah, everybody is doing it their own way and making it work. I agree with that. And I have had people tell me, well, you can't learn everything from a book or you can't learn how to be a parent from a book. And I do agree with that. But I also think there are a lot of important things that you can learn from a book. And I think that my journey into parenting was really aided in many ways by things that I read in books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I felt the same way. Um, like the research about about if you talk with your child more often, it helps develop their vocabulary and, um, it's useful for school later on. I, I'm typically a pretty quiet person. I tend to be the listener, um, rather than the talker. And so for me to, um, you know, and when you have a newborn, they're not responding. So it's a little weird to just <laughs> talk. Um, I felt maybe for other people that would come naturally, but this idea of, kind of narrating what's going on to your baby um, was something that I had to kind of make myself do. And it was it was super helpful, but I don't think I would have thought to do that, you know, if I hadn't learned about it. That doesn't come naturally. I remember before I had kids that I was in the grocery store and I saw this lady like talking up a storm to her tiny baby. And I just was like, that is so bizarre. And it seems so strange to me. And I probably wouldn't have thought to do it unless I had heard that it is really, really good for kids to hear language long before they're speaking because they learn to in understand language long before they can speak language. And had I not known that piece of science, it probably wouldn't have dawned on me to do it as much. But then once I started doing it, I feel like I was probably that crazy lady in the grocery store, just like talking up a storm <laughs> to her kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And and then, you know, there's, there's an, you also don't want to take it to an extreme. Like if you feel like it's a chore, like I have to do this, I'm, I'm talking and talking and my voice is going hoarse, like that's too much. Um, one thing I wanted to do with my book was really go back to the research and see, like you hear, um, you might hear generally, oh, in the study, it was 2,100 words an hour that parents were speaking. And that sounds crazy to me. So I wanted to understand what does that really mean? Okay. It's actually 15 minutes of talking over the hour. It's not like you have to, um, go on and on and never take a breath or anything. You know, it'd be annoying if someone was talking nonstop to you all day long. But so there's that balance. Right. And I think that there's a constant balance in our brains as parents in doing what feels natural to us and to our personalities and doing what's best for our kids, as we have read in some book that says is best for our kids. <laughs> it's true. It's true. There's a balance there. Um, I think when they're are things about yourself that you would rather not pass on or, um, you know, there's certainly areas of self-growth, but you don't want to just completely lose who you are either. Yes. And it's so important to pay attention to your intuition. Um, and I think for some of us, that voice 
is really, really quiet because we may have just grown up used to um, being very externally focused. What do other people want? What do other people need? And um, in that case, you might need to practice listening to your own voice and it's not gone. It might just be quiet. So um, I think that happens in a lot of parents as a result of self-doubt too. So a lot of parents that have had very little experience with kids or are not confident in not confident that they know what to do, um, that that voice yeah, can I mean, be really quiet. Sure. I mean, how many of us have really been around newborns in such an intense way? I know I hadn't. Um, and we tend not to grow up in these huge families where we're taking care of siblings and all of that. So it makes sense that, that and you know, then our families aren't always, our parents aren't always around. Um, it makes sense that, that we're all seeking this information. But I think, you know, once you, once you find something that you gravitate toward, a parenting style that you gravitate toward, it's still about really being aware of, um, is this working for me? Does this, does this feel right? Does this feel right with my kid? I, I remember um, I encountered the idea of counting to three if your kid didn't do what you said right away. And I tried that, and I did it in this kind of threatening tone. And my toddler just ran to do that. And I, and I realized, like, I didn't intend to wield that kind of power over her. Do you know what I mean? It didn't feel good. Yeah. And finding a way to interact with your kids that is true to your personality is so important. Like you said, just because counting to three is a strategy that's recommending in a book, if it doesn't feel true to you and it doesn't, is, and it's not effective with your kid, then is it really of any value? And it's okay sometimes to let those things go if, if they're not true to us and if they're not working for us, right? Oh, yeah. I think the main thing is kind of sitting down and determining what your own values are. Like, you know, I'm a writer. I'm an editor. My husband's a writer. Communication is important to us. So when I read that research about talking to your kid, you know, that resonated with me. I wanted that that um, for her. And so... Um, that's partly why I was willing to make the effort to do that. And when it comes to other ways that we communicate or discipline, um, I, I came to realize that initially I, I thought, oh, children are supposed to be obedient. Um, and they'll just, they're supposed to just do what you tell them right away. And I, I just came to realize people aren't like that. You, you can't make another person do anything, um, that becomes obvious pretty quick with a little kid. And that really our relationship was the most important thing. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes it can take time to, to figure this stuff out, but yeah, it probably can take like a full 18 years of child rearing to figure it out. <laughs> and then maybe you don't even figure it out, which I think is okay because you're growing up and learning right alongside your kids most of the time, I think. That is the thing. That is definitely what's happening, especially around three. Yes. <laughs> I, yes. I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old, so I'm kind of like right on, on either side of that. So I can totally agree with that. 
Mm -hmm. So I wanted to talk to you more about the growth mindset today. And the growth mindset, I feel like, is a buzzword that's been floating around the parenting communities for a few years now. And I have read the mindset book by Carol Dweck, so I'm a little Mm -hmm. bit familiar with it. But I want to hear more from you. And I know that there's a lot of people listening who aren't really familiar with it. Maybe they've heard a little bit about it. But could you introduce this concept to us and tell us what the growth mindset is? Yeah, well, growth mindset is is kind of one half of the mindset, growth mindset and fixed mindset. Um, and mindset is really a way of looking at the world that um, determines how you feel about making mistakes or taking on challenges. That's the nutshell. Um, so can you give us an example of a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset? Yeah. So you mentioned Carol Dweck. She's the Stanford psychologist um, who coined these terms. She, she's been studying perseverance for longer than we've been alive. <laughs> but um, what she found was that kids tend to fall into one of these two categories. The kids with a fixed mindset will see their... Um, their intelligence or their talent as being fixed, something that you're born with a certain amount of it and you can't really change it. And the kids with a growth mindset tend to see those things as uh, malleable. Not that there's no such thing as talent, but that with hard work and um, different strategies that you can change how much talent you have in one area or how much you know about something. Is it that someone is born with a growth mindset or a fixed mindset, or is that something that develops over time? Well, what she found is that um, you start to see it when kids are about four to five years old, that that that's when they um, are able to kind of evaluate themselves. And in one of the studies she did, she she found that whether the kids had more of a growth or fixed mindset depended on the type of praise that parents used in the home, even when the kids started at age one, um, or even when the kids were, were one year old. She did a study where uh, she actually went into homes and recorded what the parents were saying to their kids, um, whether they would use, she calls it, process praise, which is about the child's effort or strategies, or whether they would use person praise, things like, you're so good at that, you're so smart. Um, And then, of course, there's also just neutral praise, like, wow, (laughs) how cool. And so what she found was that, and we all use all of these, all of these, but um, for the families that were really heavy on the on the praising um, of the person or the outcome, that those children tended to be the ones who had a fixed mindset at age four or five, and vice versa for the growth mindset. So the way that we talk to our kids is, would you say, the most important thing in determining a fixed versus a growth mindset? Yeah, it's, it's the way that we define for them what happens when they make a mistake or when they come up against a challenge. Um, 
our, our body language, our words are really the things putting meaning to that for little, for little kids. Um, and this can be, this is another one of those things where it's like, without reading about it, I don't, you wouldn't really think about this. It's really easy to just say, oh my God, you're so smart, you know? That's something that that certainly popped out of my mouth um, without thinking about it, and it took some time to you know, change the words that I was using. But So the way we talk to our kids, and also the way that we think about our kids, I would say that if we mm-hmm. have in our mind, like I know my son, my four-year-old is the rule follower, and my daughter is sort of the wild one. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's in my mind, that's who they are because I'm comparing one versus the other. And I do say that sometimes, and I know I shouldn't because I feel like I am defining them by saying that. Um, but I, I I think that my nonverbal communication probably communicates that too. Do you think that's true? Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. We really communicate based on our perceptions. Absolutely. Um, I think of like, if your child is really cautious in a new social situation and um, coming up and hugging your leg, you know, if you have a kind of a negative perception of that, like you wish your child were different, then you react to that in a certain way, right? Versus if you just kind of accept that about your child and, um, and know that, oh, that, she just needs time to kind of observe and then then she'll creep closer or then she'll be able to participate. Then you're, what you say in reaction is totally different. So absolutely. Yeah. And it's hard as parents because we think our, we know our kids the best, better than anyone. It's hard not to define them and to put them into these boxes and try to make decisions for them based on what we know about them. And it makes me think my son wanted to take ice skating lessons in the fall and he did. And he did really great. He tends to be a really cautious kid who doesn't like to fall down. He very, very rarely falls, which means he doesn't take a lot of risk because he doesn't like to Mm -hmm. fall down. Um, Mm -hmm. So when he learned to ice skate, he, I really don't think he fell a single time. And that's how I was as a kid. So I'd never mm-hmm. fell, but that's because I never went fast and I never mm-hmm. did anything risky. Um, so I remember in my mind, like learning how to ice skate and being like, oh yeah, like I skated for an hour and I didn't fall down one time and I felt like I was winning. <laughs> um, but the reality was I was also going like a half a mile per hour and I like wasn't <laughs> turning, but I certainly wasn't falling. Um, but I see that in my son a lot and he wanted to play hockey and after doing his ice skating lessons, he showed interest in playing ice hockey. And I totally put him into that box. And I was like, you know, I just don't think hockey is going to be his thing because he doesn't like to fall down. And hockey is all about like getting knocked around and getting hit and unpredictability and just like getting beat down pretty much. And so I like had already defined in my mind that like, this was probably not the type of sport for him. Like he needed something like swimming where he could be, it could be predictable and he knew what was coming. Um, I don't know. So I feel like I'm, I sort of, 
No, he didn't because I like decided in my mind that I thought that hockey just wasn't good for his personality type and his body type and who Uh he is. And he's only four. So he's like really too young to play (laughs) hockey anyways. And I really like his teeth. So, um, (laughs) but it's, but I I did that. I totally did that. And maybe he would be an amazing hockey player and maybe he's never going to take risks and fall down because I am not putting him in situations like this. Or maybe I just constantly <laughs> overanalyze every single decision that I make regarding my kids. I mean, all of those things are totally, possible, right? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And, you know, it's kind of impossible to know because um, yeah, we do want to we do want to be sensitive to who our kids are and I think that's important. And and then on the other hand, it's like, oh, if he were in this more like team environment, this social situation where people were taking more risks, like would would he um yeah, who knows. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's the very thing that he needs. Maybe he just needs more experience with it. But I guess part of me as a mom is being protective and saying that I want him to feel good about his natural inclinations and his natural inclinations are to feel secure on the ground and to be upright and not be getting knocked around. And um, I mean, that's what I've seen to be true to him in the four years of his life. But I don't think that that's necessarily something that is fixed, right? Is I mean, and especially thinking about the growth versus the fixed mindset, this idea that even though maybe that's how his body is inclined to work and that's how his brain is functioning, there's nothing to say that he can't grow and change in those kind of ways. That's right. And, you know, if he decided that that was something he was very, very interested in, then the conversation would be about what you've noticed about what he likes and what you've noticed about what hockey is like. And that if he wants to try that, here are some things he's going to have to do and he's going to need to put in a lot of effort in these certain areas and uh, to really make, to really make it work. And then if he's, it might be pretty hard in the beginning. And, and once he, if he keeps going with it and practicing, um, it will get more enjoyable and, and, um, you know, if he has that motivation for it, absolutely. Yeah. With so many areas of life, it's really, we all know somebody who was really talented at something and didn't put the effort into it and just, you know, kind of that faded away. And then we know people who were just, they didn't start out with the talent, but they were so willing to put in the work, um, they became really good at that thing and, and enjoyed it. And yeah, but you know, that can happen at any point in life. So yeah, no need to to rush at four. (laughs) And I think about when I talk to my kids and my son is at the point, my daughter is sort of, she's very verbal and she's starting to get to this point too, where when they encounter something that's difficult, I hear them say, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I always try to change their language. And instead of responding to, yes, you can, I say, oh, this looks really hard. It looks like you're having a hard time. Should we do this together? Or um, you're going to have to work extra hard at that. And I try to give them language around working hard and putting in the effort rather than confirming or denying whether or not they can do something. Is that, do you think that's a a growth mindset technique? Oh, absolutely. Um, And to look at 
what strategies they're using in that moment. Um, you can say, you know, show me the hard part and, and they'll, they'll start it again and you can, um, acknowledge the strategy that they're trying and then, ah, that didn't work. What's something else? Um, or, you know, like, yeah, this is hard. It, it, It might take some time to get it. Another powerful word is yet. Can't do this yet. Oh, I love that. It's funny. I, um, a few months ago, I was trying to get my son to take fish oil pills and they don't (laughs) taste good. And he was not having any of it. And I tried, you know, I tried putting it into his applesauce. I tried to like bribe him. I tried to do all of these things to get him to take these fish oil pills. And finally, I quite literally threw my hands up in the air and said, fine, I give up. And he looked at me and he said, we never give up. You can do hard things. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, all right. fun when you hear them. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, well, okay. Yes, you're learning, but I really don't think I'm going to win this one. What would you suggest that I try next? (laughs) If I shouldn't give up, I should try to keep pushing these fish oil pills on you. Um, But then, you know. Well, actually has some pretty interesting ideas. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Did you get anything? No, I actually, I did end up giving up. And then I tried like three months later and he just would take, he just took them. Like three months later, I tried again Mm -hmm. and he was just like, oh, cool. I like these. And so bizarre, (laughs) just like the timing of it. And sometimes I feel like that's how parenting is. Like when you're in the thick of it, it seems like so intense and you Mm -hmm. just like, you've tried everything and you've done everything. And sometimes you've done too much and you just, and I think that's some of the best parenting advice that I've ever got is when you've tried everything, try nothing. Because mm. you you're probably have mm-hmm. overdone it, and I tell that I do, I do some parent coaching, and I tell that to parents all the time. It's like you know, especially when it comes to things like potty training and power struggles. It's like you've literally tried everything in the book, and that's the problem that you're just overdoing it. Well, one of my favorite one of my favorite ways of of talking with kids um, is just starting with straight up acknowledgement of whatever they're they're doing or saying or feeling. Um, the framework that I use is called language of listening. And um, it's it's so powerful because it's just a neutral statement of something you see. And instead of, yeah, we tend to do so much judging and teaching, lecturing, um, you know, we have this agenda all the time. It's really good to just say something neutral. It totally keeps the conversation open. Um, I I agree with this idea of just <laughs> less is more. Can you tell me more about the language of listening framework? What what you mean by that? Yeah, it was it was developed by a, a parent coach named Sandy Blackard. It comes out of play therapy, and it's got three parts to it. The first is always say what you see. So, um, like if you, if you walked in on your kid, um, well, one time I walked in on my daughter in the bathroom, up on the bathroom counter, spraying the mirror with water, like a spray bottle. And the first thought in my head was like, ah, you're making a mess, (laughs) but that's, that's my own interpretation, right? Um, I didn't say that. What I said was just, you're spraying the mirror with water. And that simple 
simple thing of just saying what's real in the physical world um, changes the whole dynamic because it gives you a moment to notice what else is happening, um, to decide how you want to respond, to let your child say something that gives you more information. And, um, and in that particular moment, what I realized was, oh, well, if you want to play with water, the bathroom's a really good place to do it. And, and I just realized, okay, what's important to me is that if she makes a mess that she cleans it up rather than that I have to clean it up. So, um, so then I was just able to say like, oh, look at those, look at those patterns that the water is making. And, and she was like, yeah, I love this. And then, um, I could just hand her a towel and say, wipe the mirror when you're done. And then you can imagine like what a completely different interaction that was. And she came away from that feeling like, Hey, I'm a creative person who is painting with water. And, um, and I, my mom trusts me to be responsible about cleaning up and, um, instead of feeling like she's in trouble for doing something wrong, you know? Yeah. I actually, I caught my son and I shouldn't even say caught because he's allowed to be in the kitchen and we cook a lot together. So he's just getting to the point where he is going into the kitchen and doing some of his own food preparation without me there for better or for Mm -hmm. worse. And, um, I walked walked in the other day and he had, he often in the afternoons, I make this detox drink with like, um, ground ginger and ground turmeric and cinnamon and he helps me make it. And I walked in on him on this day and he had gotten out all the spices. And when I mean all the spices, I mean all the spices, (laughs) like the oregano and the (laughs) chili powder and you name it. And he had them lined up all the way down the the counter. And I was like, and he was, and he obviously had measuring spoons out. I was like, oh, I was like, what are you making? He's like, oh, I'm making your, your spicy apple drink for you, which is what he calls the drink that I make. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, yes, you are. And you're right. I think that had I not came in with that inquisitive nature, I would have been like, what the, like, what are you doing? Like, because it was a mess and he had all these things out. I mean, that were not even relevant to what I thought he needed. Um, But like, yeah, coming in with that inquisitive nature (laughs) really changed it because I think that this was really him trying to make something for me and trying to do something for me and trying to be independent. And even though he really wasn't doing it right. I mean, I wasn't about to drink this like Mm -hmm. oregano concoction that he was making for me, (laughs) but he was really making such an effort to do something kind and thoughtful and independent. And I really wanted to find a way to honor that without shaming him and to encourage him to do those things more in the future. And you're right. Just sort of leading with inquisition is such an important thing. Leading with it, yes, but then um, the third the third part of it of language of listening is to name a strength, and you just came up with three beautiful ones to name for him, you know, um, and and just having that orientation, like being in a space where you're looking for those, is huge because they're always there. Um, like I was saying about perception, you can see it as a mess, or you can see it as a thoughtful gesture. They're, they're both true and you can choose which one you focus on with your child and, um, 
and, and that helps determine the way that they see themselves in that moment too. So it's really cool that you were able to honor that for him. Um, and then the fact that he had them all lined up is interesting too. He's, he, he might be an organized one. Yeah, he had a plan. <laughs> you know, and plan. I, you mentioned something about expecting obedience from our kids. And that I think is something that is hugely common in our generation. And most of us who are raising young children now were raised by parents who expected obedience. Is that how you were raised? Um, hmm. I guess it must be because that's what was in my head. I mean, I, it, yeah, to an extent. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, and not to say that that's wrong, but I think that I'm seeing a shift in that. I think that there are many yeah. parents in our generation of parenting that are moving towards a more authoritative, responsive approach to parenting where we're facing situations like your daughter's spraying the mirror down in the bathroom with water as, wow, they're being inquisitive and they are learning from this rather than, oh my gosh, she's making a mess. She's not allowed to do this. There are rules against doing this. Um, and I think that, that making that, that mindset switch can be a big change for parents, especially if you were raised differently. I mean, in my house, mm -hmm. if my mom had caught me doing that on the bathroom counter, she probably would have been upset with me and told me I'm not allowed to do that. Um, mm -hmm. So I think, it, I, I guess it just all depends on the ap approach of the parent and what the goals are there. And I think I'm seeing that generational shift as, um, as our generation is growing into parenthood that I'm seeing more authoritativeness yeah. and more of an open mind to, you know, what does it really hurt if your kid sprays water on the bathroom mirror? Like, is it really the end of the world? Is it really that big of a mess? Um, kind of think. Uh, well, I think we're understanding more about um, the, the damage that shame causes. Um, you know, if you grew up that way, you probably didn't really like it and, and don't want that for your kids. Um, and then there's Dana Baumride's research on um, authoritative parenting versus authoritarian and what kind of outcomes that provides. And then, and then, you know, the only way to make someone do something is really by force. And we understand more now about the consequences of punishment. And, and I think a lot of us don't want our kids to be afraid of us, you know, um, we want a positive relationship. And, I think that's really taking the long-term view because once they're, you know, teenagers are out of the house, our relationship with them is really the only influence we have. So I think you're right. Um, finally, that research is filtering out into the parenting world and, um, and the kind of positive parenting movement is, has a lot of, of people spreading it. Yes. And so I have been at home with my kids since they were born. Uh, my son was born when I was in the midst of my PhD and I wrote my dissertation while my daughter, while I was pregnant with my daughter and in her few, first few months of life. So that I've always been here. I've always been the one that's been doing most of it. My husband is here, but he works during the day. Um, so I feel like I've had 
a lot of control over the way that my children are being talked to because I'm very intentional about the way that I talk to them and I'm very intentional about the way that I approach discipline. Um, But we are in the midst of a shift in our house in that we are bringing in an au pair to help so that I can work more during the day. And Mm -hmm. that is something that I'm giving a lot of thought to, this integration of another caregiver. And how much of a fuss do I make about the way that other people talk to my kids, right? Because like, I, I feel like I don't want to follow her around and be like, oh, we don't talk this way. <laughs> and especially because English yeah. is not, not her first language either. So I think that adds just more of a complication to it. And um, I mean, what what do you do with other caregivers and grandparents and other people who are involved in their lives um, when you see them talking to your daughter in a way that you don't talk to your daughter? Mm-hmm. You know, we all make those choices kind of in the moment when it's just, you know, a visit or a stranger. Um, Bringing somebody into your home as a caregiver is probably a little different where you want to understand what their philosophy is about kids. And, um, And I think it's useful to talk about just a couple, like not to overload somebody, but just you know, here are a couple things that are really important to me. Um, but then as we talked about balance, it's great for our kids to have exposure to other ways of being and other, you know, the ways that other people interact with them. So I think just like if there's a couple things that are important, I would talk about those, but then also look for the strengths, uh, that this other person is bringing to the family. Um, you know, when, yeah, I used to get more upset. Like my daughter is also pretty articulate and we'd be riding the bus and somebody would say, wow, you're so smart. Um, and I used to get more upset about that, but I realized I could also help define that for her. Um, part of the, part of the problem with it, with when it comes to the fixed mindset, when kids, have only these vague terms to describe their successes. Um, They kind of, they don't, they don't understand how to change an outcome. Like if I'm doing well at this because I'm quote unquote smart, then as things start to get more challenging, because they will in school, at work, whatever, um, and I start to fail more, if I'm smart is the only strategy I have and I start failing, I start thinking I'm not as smart as people are thinking. Um, and I want to be, I want to feel smart. So, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to only do things that I know I'm good at or avoid these challenging situations. Um, rather than these other ways that we've talked about where you're, where you think, okay, I'm not, I'm not getting this right now. There's, I need to try a different strategy or, um, cause it's not just about putting in more effort at, at something that's not working. Right. Um, so this kind of, these terms smart, they, they don't mean anything really, but if we can put some more words around that, I think it can help. So, on the bus that day, I said, 
you know, yeah, you, you, you really think about things, you ask good questions, you, you connect these concepts to each other. And that was my way of, of saying, here are the strategies underneath that word. Right. And then it's not fixed. It's not just that she's either smart or she's dumb, that she has these tools that she can use to learn more and more and more and grow and improve upon herself. And it's not about those labels. It's not about those words. Yeah. And even my, you know, my husband doesn't always do this either. And he'll say like, you're so good at that. And if I hear it, I'll say, oh, what does that mean to you? And then he'll readily define it. Um, or I might say, if she didn't do those things, would she be bad at it? And, or, you know, would she be bad? And, you know, of course, no. And so, you know, there's little questions that we can put in. But actually, it's interesting. There was, um, there was one study where this was of kids in, I want to say, middle school, where the researchers were teaching the kids about a growth mindset and how the, you know, how the neurons are connecting in the brain when you learn something and you, you practice that over and over and you make those connections stronger. And um, so teaching them how the brain works and about the growth mindset. And those students ended up taking on more challenges and having more of a growth mindset even though the lessons were directed solely at them, like not at the teachers, not at their parents, they weren't getting this consistent message and it was still very powerful. So to answer your question, you don't have to be super worried about what, um, what other messages they're getting. Okay. That's, that's great to know. And it's hard to sort of get into the habit of this. I um, was thinking about this yesterday. My son has been wanting to learn how to play baseball without the tee um, and just me throwing the ball. And mm-hmm. when he was batting, every time he would hit, he would be like, oh, was that good? And I'd say, oh, you're working really hard or you're learning, you're practicing. And I was thinking to myself, like if I said, wow, you're a really good baseball player when he hits then when he doesn't hit, will he define himself as a bad baseball player? And that's, I guess, this really the core idea of the fixed versus the growth mindset, this idea of are we giving our kids language that makes them or sort of leads to them defining themselves as good or bad, or are we giving them language that will help them to define themselves as capable to grow and to improve? Yeah, absolutely. And when you can get um, specific about what it is. Like he said, was that good? Um, yeah, you really, you held your arms super straight there or whatever. I, my softball days were a long time ago and yeah, (laughs) they were not good, (laughs) but whatever it is, like (laughs) you kept your eye on the ball, you know, something specific that he can grab onto about, um, the strategy that he, where he put the effort. It's not bad to talk about the ways that they can improve. Of course. Yes, and I completely agree. So it's it's been really wonderful chatting today, Tracy. And I you have a program that is available for anyone listening that wants to learn more, right? I do. I have a little uh, growth mindset boot camp that that I could link to for for the listeners. And that's got one of the best parts of it is um, 
kind of a long video where I'm talking my daughter through a challenge of, um, she was trying to get a key onto a key ring, I think. So it's kind of useful to just see, see something in action and, you know, how kids respond and yeah I think examples really help and I think I I tried to give a couple examples today and you gave some great examples because I think the more we hear it the more we can get it and it will click with us as parents Mm -hmm. and then if anyone's interested in more about the language of listening I I have um, an excerpt of my book that people are welcome to download I can give you that link too perfect I'll put both of those links in the show notes then that sounds good Great. Well, thank you so much, Tracy. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. It's fun talking with you. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you'd like to learn more about Tracy or get a copy of her book, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 111, and you'll find all the links to the show notes there. I appreciate your continued support for this podcast. When you have a second, please leave a rating or review in iTunes. This helps the show to reach more people. Thanks again for tuning in.